welcome to Inbound After Hours, everybody. Today, we've got a very special guest. We've got co-founder of Unbounce, Ollie Gardner. Hey, Ollie. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, fantastic. Um, firstly, I heard you got married recently. Congratulations on that. Thank you. I did, yeah. It was actually in August, but we kept it quiet for a while. Ah, we sorry. We eloped, yeah. and then we were going to do something else, but we didn't. So I, I announced <laughs> it on stage at a gig in December. I pulled it up on the stage and was like, Awesome. Yeah, it was December. I saw it. Yeah. So, oh, well, congrats for that. Did you manage to get some time off work? We, I just had a really crazy month of content in January. I uh, saw that. Yeah. Insane. <laughs> so I published the final roundup, 7,000 word roundup post. Yeah. I was reading on a Thursday, Friday wow. morning. We went to Mexico for a week just to chill out. <laughs> good. No, it sounds like a good idea to me. Yeah. We've, um, we did a similar thing about a year ago obviously not writing them all ourselves we shared it across the team and we did 30 blogs in 30 days right but between i think about five of us did it so it was a little bit less stressful but still it was stressful so yeah, uh, i can imagine if you tried to do do a bulk of that work on your own then that's a huge mm. challenge so well done yeah. for that how yeah. did you find it you said it had been i read on that blog you were talking about there it'd been a while since you'd sat down and wrote for the unbounced blog how did you find getting back into that it was two years yeah and well, it was amazing doing it, but the, I needed the challenge. If I hadn't said to myself, you got to do 30 and 30, yeah. I would have maybe tried to do three and I would have done none. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I needed the, the, uh, the ridiculousness of it to kind of inspire me. And it ended up being 20 because I stopped doing weekends so yeah. that I didn't get divorced. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so, so soon after the marriage, it's uh, yeah. the blog every weekend. That's not a good start. <laughs> no, um, so we just jumped straight in there. Forgot to ask you the obvious question. For the people who don't know, could you just tell us a bit about what you do now and how you ended up doing it? Yeah, for sure. I am one of six co-founders here at Unbounce. We started back in 2009, based in Vancouver in Canada. And uh, yeah, when we began, I was the sole marketer. And now you have a marketing team, I don't know, like 30 people. Wow or something um yeah i spent half of my time roughly as a public speaker right although maybe a little bit less this year and yeah other than that i just tried to create content like new content usually because i'm as a speaker i create a lot of new ideas and new stuff for that which turns yeah. into the content i then put out for the rest of the year kind of thing. awesome i guess a lot of our listeners will be the sole in-house marketer and you've gone right. from that role through to building a team now through to kind of being the contributor to that team and the front person for the company how have you how have you found that transition and kind of what have you learned along the way i started speaking maybe three two and a half years ago i think okay. and you know after originally being kind of guilted into it <laughs> uh, but I quickly learned to love it and I don't really have any fear of it anymore. I still get the tingles, yeah. but when I'm on stage, I just absolutely love it. It's the best thing I've ever done in terms of personal growth, meeting new people. Like it's great. Whenever I go on the road, I'm going to hang out with some of my best friends. Awesome. Um, it's really cool. Definitely. So I've seen you speak, uh, I can't remember if it was inbound last year or the year before. Um, year before. Yeah, year before. So I, I know firsthand you're a good speaker. And on a lot of your um, stuff I've been reading through in prep for this, you, you talk about speaking a lot and the sort of ratings you get. A lot of people are scared of speaking, want to do it for the first time. What tips have you got for people who are getting into speaking? And, and, and also, why, why should they? Well, I'll do that part first. Why yeah. should <laughs> uh, Because... It changes you in terms of like building a personal brand is it's important. Uh, 
the respect you get, the uh, just the capability to present who you are and what you know. It's there's no other way of doing it no. that has the same kind of impact. I mean, and for me, I'm a I'm an introvert, except when I'm on stage. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so it it helps you grow in that way as well. You become more confident and more. I, I think looking at me now versus three years ago, it's night and day. Really? So, Did you go through any coaching or have you just learned it all yourself? What approach have you taken? No, I'm kind of obsessive. So I just kind of dug in. I, when I was starting, if people want to kind of get how I did it, there's a medium post called It's Okay to Puke. Okay. <laughs> Is that a good insight <laughs> into how this went? <laughs> as, oh, it's okay to puke as a public speaker. Okay. Cool. It's a pretty funny post about how I got, how it all began. But yeah, it just, uh, that's a good starting point because I give a lot of explanations to how I did it. I mean, I, my commute on a bus, on the bus then, I don't live there anymore, so I drive, but yeah. it was exactly 18 minutes. So I watched a TED talk on my phone on the way <laughs> to work every day. So when I got wow. to work, pumped up thinking I can change the world, you know, and <laughs> it was just a good way of, cause you'd find some of them that are like, oh, I need to do what that person just did. Yeah. So something they did was so special. So I, you know, I'd bring some of those in. I read a bunch of books about speaking, but other than that, yeah, just self-talk. Awesome. I think what I remember from, from the talks I've seen, obviously I've watched a few on YouTube since as well is just data. <laughs> you bring that to the table better than anyone I've seen. And, you go to a lot of marketing conferences and there's a lot of big kind of big theory topics discussed and sometimes you're left thinking yeah that's a great idea but what do i do with that <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, and is it gonna work <laughs> right yeah uh, being actionable is really kind of it's kind of our mo here you yeah. know with our call to action conference and just the fact that you know just the concept of landing pages that they have one thing to do it's kind of an actionable concept so i try to follow that when i'm speaking to you also i've seen too many talks like that as well and yeah. if i can't educate entertain and inspire i'm not doing my job right those three things are what i look for and the ed the entertain part is the one i like the most yeah <laughs> but i know that if i get people to laugh in the places where i want them to laugh then i'm in control yeah and they are getting the benefit that i'm hoping they will yeah, I mean, it really works because, like I say, I go to a lot of conferences and things. And you look around the room, there's people sat on the phones doing email and kind of they're in the room, but they're not. And I think if you get them hooked with a bit of something yeah. out of the box or, um, like you say, just something funny and kind of get them, get their heads up from the screen to listen to you, then that's, that's job done. And I think uh, humor is a good way to go about doing yeah. it. Yeah, then the worst thing is I've never seen it happen with one of my talks. I hope it hasn't, but I've been in some boring talks and you look around and there's people asleep. Oh and no. <laughs> and, and I usually gets on Twitter. Someone sees it and oh, no, <laughs> no yeah. reference to speak. <laughs> this isn't fun. That's the bottom bar of where you're going with speaking, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. There's someone asleep in the room. No, definitely. Um, I think one of the things I've also noticed about Unbounce is um, the you do a lot of co-branded stuff like days or events and stuff. I think we took part in last year's uh, digital agency day with HubSpot. And that was when I first noticed you guys getting involved. I think you've got something right. going on this week on a similar sort of vein as well. Yeah. Marketing optimization week. Yeah. Starts, yes. Yeah, this week, four days of tons of free content. Yeah. How did you guys get into co-branded and, 
and why is it is it a good marketing opportunity that a lot of people don't do yeah we used to do a lot for webinars okay. we partner with people um well usually we did them ourselves and we'd have a you know a guest and that, that was, it was their their thing we just hosted them um and i did the same on a lot of other people's uh, ones so there was co-marketing there usually it was a lead share or something okay. so you both promote it and you swap leads yeah um but then these ones these bigger ones so we did um international conversion optimization day that was okay. the year prior it was massive yeah but then we did uh another one then digital agency day and now uh, we did ppc week recently and now we're doing awesome uh, marketing optimization week so it's kind of it, it's just a good way of getting a strengthening our partnerships which is important yeah. and you know everybody does their part to share it and try and make it a big event yeah. so it's it's kind of cool it's obviously working if you if you're doubling down and doing more each year then it's something that works for you is i guess from obviously you guys don't fall into this category these days but if you're in a smaller company it's good to align yourself with brands that have got good affinity with the personas you're going after like these brands are seen in good light if we're up there and our names alongside them there's some sort of benefit from that as well yeah and the good thing about the model this lead share um you know most of the leads are done by us either because of our level type of marketing or just you know we're setting it up so we push a bit harder um you know, I've seen the leads come from others and some are tiny, some are not bad, yeah. but you can be a small brand who has like a similar approach. So we, we, we're like, Hey, we want to partner with you. They're not going to get that many leads from it, but they get to participate. Right. Yeah. So that's a great way of getting exposure. If you are a new company and you can just kind of make that kind of thing happen, regardless of how many leads you might get just the exposure. Cause usually each of those, sponsors will have our speak a speaker in there yeah that's also how we choose them too we don't it's not sponsored speakery kind of thing it's we choose brands who are relevant to our audience but also we know they have someone who can actually deliver yeah and that's call. really important isn't it and yeah. um, how, how did you obviously when you go now and it's and it's you and it's unbounced and you you go to someone about one of these events it's a it's quite, probably quite an easy buy for most of the companies you go to thinking back to the days when you were the solo marketer and unbounce wasn't on the map how did you find getting other people to help you with leverage even if it was something as simple as guest posting or something like that even if it wasn't an event how, how did you find approaching companies and actually getting them to take you up on any sort of offer that you've had back then it was a lot of guest posts and you know a lot of places you have to well you need a you know a resume of content before you approach someone to do a guest post. Some are really rigorous and it takes forever to get in. Some are, yeah, it can be hard, but I started on the Moz blog because they have their open you Moz yeah. blog where you put anything on there and it gets promoted to the main blog. I think, did I hear they actually shut that down? They did, yeah. Um, yeah. Sadly, I was actually in the middle of writing one. <laughs> right. I've, I've, yeah, I've got one on there uh, back a few years ago. I was writing one and it came through saying shut down. I was like, damn you. I guess I can use it on my own site. Yeah, it's a shame. Yeah, it is a big shame. I mean, they're going through some transition times, so I, yeah, of course. I get it. Uh, but that was massive because back then the Mars community was just huge. Yeah, super. And you get something working on there, it's great exposure, which is a Definitely. smart move because we had a tiny blog at the time. Yeah. If I put the types of giant content I built for them on our blog, it would have been a waste. 
Yeah, no. So, yeah. We've, I found it surprisingly easy to get people on this show. So when we started this last year, uh, so we, it's been about a year to, to the date since we started, right. uh, we had ourselves on the podcast and then we started outreaching to people. What I found is most people say yes. <laughs> like you've just got to ask. And yeah. not, I've not had a negative response from anyone. Obviously some people ignore you. Um, yeah. But um, the vast majority of people are pretty open to doing it. And it's, I think a lot of marketers are scared of going out there because it's a big name or it's somebody everyone in the industry knows. But I found people pretty receptive. I don't know if that's just the marketing industry and if I worked in manufacturing or engineering, whether I'd find the same. But right. I, I've, I've found it okay just going and saying, hey, we do this show. It's to help marketers. Do you want to be part of it? Yeah, it's, it's so true. And it's because um, it's easier. Yeah. then it depends what it is sometimes i mean i'm better now but i used to be a bit nervous about it it's like the whole imposter syndrome you're afraid of being asked a question that you're like uh, <laughs> yeah um, and also i like to be prepared because i know some questions are very referential to the past or something so i i like to dig into my memory or ask other ones of the founders or whatever <laughs> what did we what happened then Just, yeah you know, but i've got over that for the large part where i don't usually ask for questions anymore but I used to all the time because, okay. uh, you know, when you're getting started doing this kind of thing, you want to appear smart and yeah. some prep does help. It definitely does. But <laughs> in terms of effort, other than being crazy and writing thousands of words and notes, uh, it's low, you yeah. know, it's, it's low amount of effort. So, and it's usually really fun because you're having a conversation. So. Yeah. It's, it's quite easy. I think I've stopped writing on the blog since we started doing these. This is kind of my replacement for that. And I think a lot of guys have done the same, uh, which is sad in some ways. But like you say, the effort of, okay, I've had to set a camera up for 10 minutes. I've come and talk. But then we use this as a video. So we use it on our own blog. We use it on YouTube. We post it on social. It goes out to like five or six podcast channels. We transcribe it and we put it on the blog. And it's funny, if you do one of these, there are about 8,000 words. (laughs) So it's it's pretty reusable from this half an hour slot of having a chat. You get a hell of a lot of content from it. So. Yeah. And it's smart too, because it is the kind of up and coming medium, right? I mean, everybody has a podcast now, which is also is the problem. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Because yet again, a content marketing medium, we are all battling someone else. I've actually been thinking about maybe rebooting our podcast uh, in a different format, but we'll see. Yeah, no, we found it a, a good medium for us. And yeah, that's it. I wish we'd gone and set goals back at the start. And that sounds like a bad thing for marketers <laughs> to say, but um, we just said, let's see what happens. And, mm. and we took the approach. It's a bit like our blog. We know this will take a year before we see anything out of it. And actually, right. it, it, it hasn't. It's done well. I think we get about 750 to 1,000 listeners a month. Right. Most of them are from the US, so I don't have a clue what they think about our North and English accent. <laughs> Where uh, are you? So we're based in a town called Clitheroe, which is north of Manchester, pretty okay. much middle of nowhere. So we've got some pretty broad accents here. And um, yeah. we, had, we had Rand on a few weeks ago, and I, I'm pretty sure he didn't understand a word we said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a Geordie. Actually. Oh, really? Wow. So I'm from, yeah. I'm from Durham, so not okay. too far away from there. Um, Durham, Durham, how did, Durham. Yeah. <laughs> how did you end up all the way over there then from uh so i was there till i was 10 then moved to scotland grew okay. up there and then i came to canada like for a year after uni in 95 
bumped into a grizzly bear on a, on, on a trip <laughs> in the US, fell in love with the idea of photography, awesome. moved back to the UK, worked on my permanent resident application, then moved in 2000. Wow. Yeah, so this is home now. Um, all my family's still in Scotland. Fantastic. So, but luckily, I mean, I don't think I'm getting back this year, but for the last three years, I've been speaking at Turing Fest in Edinburgh, which is awesome. So getting flown yes. home with your family is kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, definitely. How have you found the approach to marketing over there compared to, to back in Scotland or England when you lived here? Or how have you found the sort of attitudes are different? I don't really know because I've never worked over there in this realm. Like oh, I, was a, I was a programmer for like financial futures oh, wow. and options derivative trading platform in london like i do see differences when i go speak there which hasn't been very often in mean, scotland and i've spoken in london once um things in some regards are a little little bit behind yeah uh, north america uh not as much as say eastern europe or south america that, that's yeah. it's quite different um but yeah, I, I don't know. I find, especially in Scotland, they're very, very grateful. Yeah. Uh, wonderful audiences because there are no decent marketing conferences in Scotland, really. No. Turing Fest is like one of the only ones that's like that actual, you know, world-class quality. So yeah. I, I found we were a partner agency, so we spend a bit of time in Boston. And whenever I speak to their marketing team and our customers in the US, they're a lot, they're a lot more risk uh, acceptable I don't it's probably the other way yeah. around we're more risk averse so right a lot of people over here if you if you lose a hundred pounds they're bothered <laughs> um, whereas in the US as when I was speaking to, I think I was speaking to Matt Barbie from HubSpot and he was saying look 75% of our marketing fails and if it didn't right. we're not pushing the boundaries enough and I don't think that attitude probably reached here yet mm. um, but I think we're I think we're getting there and I think we're yeah. We'll catch I think so. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I've spoken in Dublin a couple of times as well, and that, and uh, yeah, I find similar types of uh, experience level to Scotland. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's interesting. It's definitely accelerating. I think it's a. Yeah. I think so. I think there's a lot of exciting startups in the marketing space here, and I think over the next couple of years, I think, I think we'll we'll get there with maybe not quite where North America is, but we should get very close behind, which would be, which would be cool. Yeah. And it's interesting. You just, you'd think because of the internet, you know, yeah. <laughs> everybody on this level playing field, it, it, yeah. it's strange. That it's not quite like that. No, uh, it is some of those approaches where, um, yeah, I don't know. I'd, I'd love, I'd love to know kind of what the ratio, for example, of percentage of tech companies, in the UK who have a public speaker, like a public face yeah. as, as a speaker compared to other countries. That'd be really interesting. I bet it's really low compared to, to North America. <laughs> whenever, whenever I speak to someone from HubSpot, they're just like, how are you so photogenic and ready for video? Just <laughs> off the bat. I said to, when you come in, does everybody go through a public speaking training course or something? They're like, no, no, it's just the way we are. Um, but we try to get a lot of our clients onto video, obviously, like right. you said, it's the medium that's, that's moving forward at some pace at the moment. And there's the number one objection is who's going to do it. Cause I'm not. <laughs> and, right. Yeah. Uh, that's a common fear. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. Really. yeah. But I mean, and seriously, I've got to get some better lighting in here. This is terrible. It's kind of, this is campfire lighting. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, like, yeah, it's very strong. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, you've got I'd like it like what you've got in the background there. Most of the companies uh, that we speak to over there, we have a we have a room where we do video and stuff. And yeah, uh, that'd be cool when we catch up over here because because um, it is a huge medium, a huge opportunity. And mm-hmm. no matter what you Google, you get a video result back. And yeah. most of those results are American. And I think it'd be good to have some right. friendly faces and accents on our answers to our questions. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's important having that local expertise. Especially, especially when you consider it's probably there, yeah. but it's not exposed often enough. Because, uh, you know, we have an office in Berlin and we, tra- we do a lot of translation. Uh, we have a blog in German, Spanish, and Portuguese uh, and a site. So it's like a mini wow. version. And th- that does really well. If you look at the conversion rate of foreign language, those three specifically coming to yeah. our English site, the conversion rate's like 0.4%. Yeah. When they go to their own language, it's like ten times that. Wow. Which awesome. is crazy. Just because you're you're respecting someone by delivering it in their yeah. language. Because you know, if you look at the number of marketing experts, obviously it's heavily weighted to North America. They're they don't speak German or no. whatever. <laughs> so the more we can help push some of this content in other, you know places it'll i think it'll accelerate things even more and less competition as well if there's less people pointed out in spanish german french then the market the market's there for the taking isn't it so yeah yeah that's that's a huge one mm-hmm. um so obviously given what you guys do on bounce be wrong to not speak about a couple of things first one <laughs> pop-ups uh i've seen some pretty heated debates probably you involved in time to time on twitter and such like about pop-ups and obviously you guys have launched a product in it so how have you found that because out the box marketers hate pop-ups like they think they hate pop-ups anyway but are we just too precious about it because we know what it is and should we focus just on the results you get how have you gone about marketing something that it's Pretty not easy. Subject. <laughs> so we are a landing page for we're a conver- conversion platform for yeah. marketers now. Yeah. Landing pages was our bread and butter. Now we launched pop-ups and sticky bars. Yeah. And yeah, it, it is a challenge because of the, not so much because of what they are, but because of the stigma that's been created by people misusing them. Yeah. Right. I've said often it's the technology is not the problem. We are. It's it's the marketers who don't care enough to respect their visitors <laughs> who are breaking the experience. And as long as you're adding value and put it in the right place, like similar to what I said about the conversion rates of different languages, if we've had a customer who put, uh, put pop-ups on their homepage and on their blog, they were both, I think for the same thing, su- uh, subscribe to blah, 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 content or whatever. Yeah. that's incongruent with your website. It's not anything to do with what you do. And that converted at 0.02 or like some horrible number. Yeah. The same thing on the blog converted at 14% because wow. it's relevant. It's useful. Yeah. As long as you don't do things like that, you got to use the right targeting and triggers. We have some pretty advanced stuff in, in our product for that. So make sure, you know, you're giving it to the right people. You can do geolocation, you can do cookie targeting, you can do URL referral targeting, all that kind of stuff and set the right frequencies and triggers and you can create a great experience as long as you're providing value. Like yeah. our events, like marketing optimization week, we convert between 15 and 30% on exit saying, Oh, if you can't attend, cause it's an event, uh-huh. yeah. we'll give you the videos for free <laughs> when, when it's happened. And people love that. Cause that's extremely valuable. Yeah. It's it free. Cause a lot of places charge you for that type of content. Definitely. 
So it's, it's just about how you use them. And if we just think of them as a simple interaction device, as something that's available, yeah. then I have to write a post today actually about the new Chrome ad blocker. Oh, cool. Because there's a lot of fear that it's going to block pop-ups, but it's not unless you're doing it wrong. They have a, there's, the, there's an organization, a standards, ad standards thing or something, better ads. Oh, yeah. And they're outlining the characteristics of ones that will be paid attention to by Google and potentially, you know, you get warned, I think. Um, but I've got to go through all that today and explain what's, that they won't actually impact 99% of what you're doing. Here's a couple of things you should not be doing. You know, it's when you have an interstitial. So when you arrive, it's right there, full <laughs> screen, and you have, and there's a countdown on it. Yeah. Like, it's not like that. It's kind of like Forbes. I want to know what happens because they have that five seconds. Yeah, yeah, that huge full page thing. And mm -hmm. I've given up clicking on Forbes, I'll be honest, um, a while ago. <laughs> um, yeah. But they have an amazing ability to rank <laughs> for a lot of yeah. stuff. And it's annoying because all they're doing there is giving some bullshit, like inspirational yeah. quote. I'm like, that, how does that increase brand affinity? I, don't, I like you less because you're making me read that. It's I don't just, even know if they have anything that's financially beneficial to the one I think. Just, just yeah, annoying. It does. You think they must be aware that people are annoyed by this because I've been on Twitter more than once and vented yeah. my spleen, so I'm sure other people have as well. Um, yeah, you do wonder how they get how they get away with ranking so highly for stuff with that there as well. It's yeah. so it'd be interesting to see if they get dinged because that yeah. there's a few other things uh, like on mobile. Uh, on mobile, I'll say mobile because that's how you guys say it, and it's how yeah. I used to say it, and I still <laughs> try to. But then down in the states, they say mobile, so I keep hearing that. Um, there's an E on the end. <laughs> yeah, say it. <laughs> <laughs> Flashback to Eddie Azard there, because there's a F and H. <laughs> Herb. Uh, it's uh, I didn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> but anyway, oh yeah, like say on a mobile, if you have a sticky bar, so they're yeah. the little ones if you make that more than 30 percent of the screen size i think that's one of the criteria that also might get you in trouble so we actually just yeah. built me into our app so when you're building a sticky bar if you try and make it bigger then well make it really big we say we recommend 100 pixels don't go yeah. above that so you're actually building this recommendation engine inside the app to try and educate people and you know so the more we can do that to to increase the percentage of people doing creating nice behavior, yeah. the more hopefully from our perspective, we see some of these ne negativity go down because the customers we have who use this stuff properly have amazing results. Oh, but, uh, yeah. I've read loads of studies about pop-ups and um, stuff, like, stuff of that nature. And yeah, the results when, like you say, when used correctly are exponential. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it comes down to doing good marketing and it sounds really basic but having your screen covered is not a good experience for anybody having no way out of it is not a good experience yeah. for anybody if you're kind of fair and decent with it you've got no problems with most things in marketing have you it's it just comes back yeah i uh, wrote for this uh, product awareness month we did in january there's 20 posts i did one of them was um 11 surprisingly delightful pop-ups scored by the delight equation wow uh, so I created this mathematical, I reverse engineered a really good pop-up into an equation that you can then measure yours by and it includes things like, you know, the interaction mechanisms. So 
uh, in terms of closing, this should be the top right corner close. This should be the the link or whatever to say no. Yeah. Uh, you need to be able to this for ideal points. You have both of those. If you hit escape, it goes away, or you click outside it. Those four things. You do all of those. Yeah. You hit 100% on the interaction thing. And mm-hmm. there's the psychology of the good cop, bad cop. Like, yes, I want this. No, I hate making money. <laughs> yeah. Nonsense. So like, it scores it based on you not doing these things. Yeah. It's just a really great simple mechanism to know if you're doing it right. No, I love that. And like you say, all the education work you guys are doing on that, hopefully it'll just drag the knowledge and the industry up and mm-hmm. stop annoying people which gave it the bad name in the first place. I think that's- Yeah, well, when we launched it, We've lesson learned here, but we were, we were calling them overlays at that point. Okay. Uh, because I was trying, I, it wasn't my name, but what I was trying to do communication-wise was draw a line in the sand. Like, if you talk about a bad experience, that's a pop-up. Talk yeah. about a good one, that's an overlay. So kind of like a historical, okay, it changed yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. But we find that it is complicated to market that. It's few, lower search volume and trying to put it in your marketing when you just want to say pop-up but you're, yeah. you say overlay they explain what an overlay is and then people just go well, isn't it just a pop-up and you're like, yeah it is <laughs> yeah we'll just, <laughs> so, just call it that then yeah so we went back to that and it's helped yeah like you say i think the number one place i've seen people go wrong with that is just not realizing what point the buyer's journey the person's at so i think you gave the good example of you go at your home page pops up subscribe to our newsletter which probably not why they're on the home page no. more appropriate to when they're on the blog. I think if you have a good think about your personas, where they are in the buyer's journey, you should have your pages mapped against those stages and then you can show a pop-up which is relevant to where, where they should yeah. be. Yeah, and think about behavior. If someone goes to your pricing page, to your SaaS, and they leave, they could be going to look at the competition, they could be going to ask permission, they could just not be ready. Yeah. But I wouldn't stick something in their way that time. I would have a frequency of, on their second visit, if they exit the, the pricing page, I would ask a question or say, hey, you can get a discount or what's stopping you buying or da 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 so that kind of thing, but not on the first one because that's yeah. just a bit too aggressive. And, you know, I think the best way of looking at it is that kind of this gut check where you go, you just think about it and go, hmm, if that was me, would that be annoying or would it be helpful? And, and just ask those questions before you do it. It's just like, we have uh, some emails going out as a bit of content as part of um, our, uh, our crew that's trying to get more adoption of the product to our customers. And in one of these emails that they've created, they come from me, um, there's, and I'm gonna probably go talk about it. I, I thought it's, we have a testimonial from a customer and a bit of the copy next to it is, well, it's supposed to be playful. It's like, oh, well, handsome, what a handsome devil he is. <laughs> Yeah. So I changed that to handsome chap because I thought it was a little bit, but then I was thinking yesterday, I was walking around and I thought, okay, well, what's gut check here. If we replace, if we reverse that and had a, a woman's photo there, would we say, Oh, isn't she beautiful or pretty? No, you can't do that. So why is it okay to say it about the guy? And, and if you think about it in those, both of those ways, yeah. you're like, Oh, actually then I shouldn't do that. And I'm, probably going to email them and say, Hey, let's change that because it's, you know, it's not the way it should be. No, it's a good approach, isn't it? I think um, one of the best pieces of business advice I was given on is common sense. Isn't that common? But in a lot of ways, 
common sense just rules a lot of things and marketing's yeah. no different to that. And I think like you say, if you can just ask yourself those questions, you're going to be right 90% of the time. I think that's, yeah. that's awesome advice. Um, so getting onto landing pages, for anyone that knows you, they've probably seen long video rants of you ripping down landing pages, <laughs> and, um, left, right and center. I'd probably say from, a, from knowing where our audience is, most of them probably have landing pages in some variety, but they're probably quite templated forms on the right, image descriptions on the left, they probably never tested them. Someone in that situation, what should be the first thing they go and test? I never run a test ever in your life until you've done some research because you need to find and observe pain before you try and solve that problem. If you just go, I'm going to change my headline or I'm going to change the button color. Ugh, you're not thinking like an optimizer. So for that, you know, I, I'd look at a scroll map, click map. I, I just look at, I'd want to try and it's something I've really been getting into last year, it changed the way I work. Uh, what I call micrometrics. So your conversion rate is not enough. Because let's say, uh, let's say you, actually I'll, I'll get into that in a second. Let's say you have, because everyone thinks you have to put stuff above the fold, like your call yes. to action. Yes, sometimes, but we found a lot in our experimentation, we put it at the bottom of the page. Because if you look at a scroll map, when it's at the top, you might see they only get 30% of the way down or 50. Yeah. We put the CTA right at the bottom of the page it means they get to have a more dis less distracted reading experience at the top, but they also have to hunt for the CTA. So they scroll further, see more of your content, may become more of an ideal customer if they then convert because they saw some of the features that when you're in the app, if, if you didn't see that, you might go, oh, I wish it did this. And it probably does do that. You <laughs> yeah. might find it based on the UX of the, of the platform. So things like that. You have to experiment with, with that, but do that and then look at the scroll map. Is it increasing engagement? Yeah. Uh, but then micrometrics for me, because let's say 90% of A-B tests you run don't win or lose. Yeah. They just flatline because you're not, not yeah. talking to the psyche of motivation. Yeah. So you, you can't influence it. And you think, oh, they both convert to 10%. Well, then I'm just going to pick this one because it's new <laughs> or I'm yeah. going to stick with this one because this one didn't beat it. Yeah, But if you don't look at deeper at the micrometrics, so that might be, uh, I did an amazingly interesting test where an experiment, where I use a conversational form, which is a script from an agency in Denmark called Space 10. It'll change your form into a chat-like thing. It looks wow. like a chat environment. It's really cool, kind of humanizing. Awesome. Yeah. But, so I tested that, converted to 8.3% as did the one with the regular form. Like, ah. So I dug, deep, dug deeper and I looked at, I looked at some click maps and 12% of people were clicking on the first question. Like the, the, the bubble, which is the first question, which is what is your first name? Yeah. They were clicking on that because it's a new interaction model they don't understand, but that's, just, that's not clickable. You have to click below it into the typing area, which is only one, so there's no longer four fields or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so we ha so the, that was a, a micrometric, like 12% are, are clicking on the wrong thing. Then number of spam email addresses. I was worried because it might look like a chat bot that people would be scared to put an email address in. Sure enough, um, something like 55% uh, increase in spam and fake email addresses. Wow. And a 72% reduction in branded professional email addresses, which are name at company name.com as opposed to joe at gmail.com. Yeah. 
well, the first one, because when you do your email marketing, it's going to their business account while they're at work. Yeah. That's what you need is better email marketing. Uh, so their three measurements of, in this instance, this page failed massively. If you only look at conversion rate, you're doing it wrong. And if you publish that, you're business is going to be tanking because of all those three broken things. Then you can, so knowing that you can, it's a collaborative design process. I have data driven design process. That's my talk actually marketing optimization week. I encourage people to watch that because it's a collaborative optimization process for your team to get your marketing team to work better together. Cause there's a lot of frustration. I think marketing teams are dysfunctional so that this can help you fix that. But when you have these micrometrics, you can then, that's a design challenge. And then the designers and everybody, you can work on designing, like sketching solutions to those three things, trying to change on-page behavior, basically, yeah. by doing those. And if you can design little experiences that change on-page behavior, you're becoming an optimizer. Then that's, then that's an amazing thing, and you did it in the right way. So I, I really encourage everybody to watch that video because you'll learn a lot. No, that sounds awesome. There's so many marketers and agencies and people out there these days who say they're data driven and when you get to the bottom of it they they aren't <laughs> um, right. i think it seems to be the the phrase people like to say they they are at the moment i think anything like what you're doing in terms of building a structure around it or in a process to follow is awesome because i think a lot of people get lost of where to look and they get data paralysis yeah. and i've got all these things how should i know what to do and what to test first and why and That's exactly what this process is about. It begins with, and, and to be clear, I prefer the term data informed over data driven. Uh, you should be data informed, customer driven. Talia Wolf said that. I love that phrasing. Yeah. Um, but in this, pro I chose data driven because it's three Ds and I like yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and just so the first part of that is the 3D playbook. So it's a big interactive sheet where you choose the page element you're interested in optimizing and it will filter it and say you should look at these six types of data instead of the 150 that you are imagining oh, which is overwhelming it's not going to bother it gives you a starting point um, and it tells you all the sample sizes you need and it, it creates worksheets for you for data collection observation and micrometrics so like it's a it's a really functioning team uh, tool that i built and it's, it's cool that sounds really good. So respectful of your time. I know we've overrun a little bit here. Just uh, to finish us off, we always ask what your tip would be for marketers out there. So if you're an in-house marketer, what would be the one thing you'd be focusing your attention on today? Hmm. I guess we just talked about it. Uh, we did. <laughs> yeah. Especially in-house, because in-house you're working with a copywriter, a designer, a marketer. You know, that, that, that's kind of a big part of your team structure, most likely. Definitely. The framework I built will make your team work better together. I share a lot of data at the beginning of it about how frustrated, particularly marketers and designers are. There's a lot of this, often under the surface that's not talked about. Yeah. And this helps remove some of that frustration and builds empathy, not only for your customers that you're watching do things through the data and your visitors, but it also builds empathy for your team, knowing, wow, I've never seen you work like that before, copywriter. That little sketch you did to solve this problem is amazing. I never would have thought. So, and showing them where to get the data and what it looks like. So you're all aware what this, it's not just like this black box that the marketer sits in the corner and looks at data and then spews out what they think. Yeah, that's so important. Together. So when's this going out, do you know? 
this will probably go out next week. Um, I guess. Um, we could. I think my talk is on Friday, Thursday or Friday, but it's going to be recorded. I've already oh. recorded actually in advance. I'll jump you up the queue. Don't worry. We probably, <laughs> uh, I don't think most of these are pretty evergreen. So if there's a time you need, right. uh, we'll jump it up the queue and give our listeners a hand. Uh, so we'll post the links awesome. to those below and see if, uh, see if we can get some people on that. Cause I think it's a yeah. great idea. Yeah. yeah and it's, thank you. I really appreciate that. And you know, it, it, this is a selfless kind of thing. My mission, my goal when I speak is to educate people so they can do a better job as a marketer. And that's, it's pure that. Right, okay. it's not yeah. pitchy or anything no. like that. Just become a better marketer. No, I love that, and that's the exact aim of the podcast as well. So let's get those two things aligned, and let's uh, let's yeah. get that on there. That's awesome. Uh, so no, really appreciate your time today. No, you're a busy man. So thanks for coming on the show. Loads of value for the listeners and um, and viewers as well. So thanks for your time. Yeah, my and, pleasure. Uh, I could chat this all day. So got to go before I do. So thanks very much for your time, Ollie, and I uh, hope to speak to you again soon. Thank you. Cheers.